same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Ew. Ew. Those aren't my words. Those come directly from Jesus. The story I want to tell you about this morning is about a quiet forest dweller. He lived in the mountains high above a Swiss village in the Alps. And this elderly gentleman had been hired by the town council. And his job was to go around to the various pools of water in the spring mountains. And there he was to walk around and clean these pools out. And he faithfully went around with regularity. He went through the hills. He removed leaves and branches from the pools, clearing away the silt that choked up this water and, and, contaminate, and could contaminate the flow. And by and by, this village became a beautiful and picturesque place to stay in. Swans floated on the crystal clean water. Mill wheels of the various businesses turned as a show to tourists, but also to function the factories that worked along the edge of the lake. Farmlands were irrigated with this beautiful water, and the scenery from the eating establishments was absolutely amazing, picturesque, and beautiful beyond belief. But then the years passed. And one evening, the town council met on their six-monthly, or this, yeah, six-monthly meeting, and they were going through the, through the budget, and one man's eye of the council caught this, the salary number of this dear old gentleman. And he asked the council, who is this obscure keeper of the springs? And the treasurer said, yes, who is this fella? Who is this old man that has been, we've been paying for years and years? We never see him. We never hear from him. We don't even know if he still exists, this ranger in the hills. Is he doing us any good? Is he at all necessary? And so in their wisdom, they decided to retrench the old man. They called him in and did away with his job. For weeks, nothing really changed. But then autumn came along, and the leaves started to fall, and little branches would snap off. And they would start hindering the flow from the springs of water. And eventually the community saw this little yellowish-brown tinge to the water. A week later, the water was much darker. A week on, 
and the water started to smell and had a foul odor to it. The mill wheels slowly clogged up and choked up, some battling to turn and some actually stopped. The swans left because they didn't want to be in that yucky water. The tourists left because it wasn't beautiful anymore. The clammy fingers of disease started to run through the town itself. The embarrassed council had an emergency meeting, realizing their mistake. And they went to the old man, and they begged him to come back and work again for the council. He was gracious, and he did. And soon, after a few weeks, the veritable river was once again pristine. The water changed back to its crystal clear. The mills started to run. Eventually, the swans returned, as did the tourists. And life returned once again to the little hamlet in the Alps. You see, this story is more than just an idle tale. It carries with it a vivid, relevant analogy, as I see it, directly related to the times in which we today live. Friends, what the keeper of the springs meant to the little hamlet village in the Alps is the same as what we as followers of Christ as Christians mean to this world. Christians may seem unimportant. Christians may seem to be a nuisance to this world, especially to those who don't believe. But God help any society that attempts to exist without the work, without the prayers of you and me, Christians. Folk, we are Christ's ambassadors. We are assigned the position of influencing and impacting our world, not unlike the keeper of the springs. Nowhere in Scripture does it state that we are to live in isolation, separated from this world. In fact, it says very clearly, crystal clearly, it says, you are in the world, but you are not of the world. It is impossible to live truly for the kingdom in private, in isolation, and in secrecy. We are called to make a difference. Sadly, the calling has gone largely unfulfilled. Something that we at Cornerstone want to change. Put simply, the church has lost its influence on society, especially in the Western world and especially in Australia. And I can go through a lot of reasons why that is the case. But one reason that stands out more than any other, far above the rest, why the church has lost its influence is because Christians have neglected their call. Their call to be salt. Their call to be light. And since we as a whole, as a whole body, have neglected to do what God is calling us to do, the world has decided to ignore us. The world, in some cases, even hates us. 
Yet the flip side of that is so true. When Christians decide to be the salt, when we decide to be the light of this world, and we point people to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, the world pays close attention. King Ross School is an example. It's right close by. It's right here in our midst. When Christians decide to be the salt and the light, we will make a difference. Let me say it simply. When we are salt, when we are light, the world will see and the world will listen. When we are not, they do not. You see, Jesus, upon sharing with his disciples the Beatitudes, which are essentially the inequalities of the yielded life of Christ, and you can read them because they come just before the passage that I read to you this morning. Jesus crowns them, the Beatitudes, with two brilliant metaphors. This is of salt and of light, which are essentially exterior qualities. There are two descriptive terms that inform us how those who live a beatitude life and will influence the world and we will be going to be a spiritual hospital one day. We are called in this church to be a spiritual hospital and we will be it one day. When we start influencing and impacting our little world. And our little world starts with Joondalup. We keep on talking about it, and we're going to keep on talking about it. The impact of the words on society is not unlike the involvement of the keeper of the springs in the Alps. Both salt and light carry an enormous influence when you think about it. Both have an immediate impact. Both are noticed instantaneously, and both are difficult to hide. The quote that says, you are the salt of the earth, has become not just a saying amongst Christians, but amongst everyone in the world. Not just in the English language, but throughout every language in the world. Those who are genuine, those who are useful, those who are honest without hypocrisy, are generally called by society, he or she is the salt of the earth, they say. We've been told this before, but in ancient times, the Romans were paid in salt. That was their salary. That was how they were given their, their, their means of support. And they would revolt if they never got their ration of salt. In fact, the word salary that we still use today comes from the Latin term salarium, which means salt money. So you still earn salt money today. It just comes in a different form. And Coles holds it for you in their bank. The expression, a man is not worth his salt, is a reminder of the tremendous value of salt to the human body. But in the ancient world, and you've heard this in many sermons, I'm not going to belay on this because you've heard it many times before, but we know as it was in those days as it is today, salt is a preservative. Why? Because it retards spoilage. It retards spoilage. 
Likewise, believers, you and me, those who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, act like a preservative to this world. As we bring Christ's word and the kingdom's influence into this world, into our society, we protect society from the full sway of the evil one that would otherwise be unleashed in this world. And you can believe that or not. I certainly believe it. Salt is a flavoring. It's a seasoning. But unless it is brought into contact with something, its influence is wasted. Salt becomes invisible in order to have a visible effect. Salt by itself is nothing more than just fine particles. And in that state, people, it is worthless, useless. But when you rub it on some meat, or when you add it to your food, it dissolves, it becomes invisible. And then it becomes what it is tended for. It influences the flavor. Salt that just sits in the shaker is of no use to man or beast. It's much like the believer who becomes complacent, who no longer shares grace, who no longer shares the word with their community, with those who are at work, with those who are at school, who doesn't take a moral stand in society, who refuses to share their faith. Those are people who are sitting in the shaker. You see, when you read the scripture, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. He is not saying, you should be the salt of the earth, guys. You know, really, come on. He's saying, you are the salt of the earth. He is not saying, you could be the salt of the earth if you give it a go, boys and girls. He's saying, you are the salt of the earth. He is stating a fact, and by accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are the salt of the earth. You are, as a believer, you are salt. You do not have an option. You are salt. And you may stand there and say, oh, but JC, God always gives us a choice. Why are you saying that you are salt and you don't have an option? Well, I'm telling you today, you do not have an option. You are salt. The choice you have is do you want to be in the shaker or do you want to be influencing the world? That's your choice. Do you want to be in the shaker or do you want to influence the flavor of this world with Jesus Christ? Jesus not only states that you are the salt he also says, you are the light of the world. And as we know, light is an illumination. It dispels darkness in an instant. Christians, you and me, are supposed to be a mirror reflecting Jesus Christ in this world. In a way, we as Christians should be light bearers. We should be the bearer of the light to this world. It dispels darkness. We all know 
that light reveals the truth. I'm sure many of you have been in a dark room when some kind soul comes in and flicks on the light switch and bam, you flash a light, you hands over your eyes, it's too sore for your eyes. And you look, eventually your eyes become used to it. And you see the beauty and the colors around you. As Christ's representatives of the world, we become His instruments to reveal His truth to this world. This world that is in darkness. People, we are the light of this world. We need to be awakening men and women of this world. We need to be awakening them to the truth of the God's kingdom and His arrival. Awakening society to the presence of God. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It says so in Matthew 5, 13 and 14. Read it up if you don't believe me. And when Jesus said you, He meant you. And you and you, and you, and all of you. If you remember nothing from this message today, then remember this. If you are salt, then go season. And if you are light, then go shine. But just as salt is different from pepper, and darkness is different from light, so we as Christians need to be distinctly different from this world. I don't know if you've ever been in a group where somebody's about to tell a, a not-so-clever joke, a not-so, well, probably an off-color joke, and they suddenly realize that you're in their midst. It's happened to me. You know what's happening then? Your distinctiveness is shining through. I don't know if you've been in a group of people that have chosen to go somewhere that they wouldn't necessarily take their children to or their spouses to. It's happened to me, and suddenly they realize I am in their midst. What's happening? Distinctiveness is shining through. No words, nothing to say, just your distinctiveness is shining through. Jesus went on to warn his followers, and it says so in this book. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, the word says, except to be thrown out and trampled on by man. People, it's dangerously easy for Christians to be diluted and lose their saltiness. It's dangerously easy for Christians to become diluted and lose their preserving power and influence in this world. Let me tell you this for free this morning. If you are not affecting the world, then the world is affecting you. If you are not salting the world, the world is rotting you. And if you are not bringing light into this world, then this world is keeping you in darkness and contemplate that this morning question I have for you are you affecting the world 
or is the world affecting you? As a child, Robert Louis Stevenson was in poor health. And one night he was quite sick up in his bedroom, but he was out of his bed with his nose pressed against the frosty glass pane, window pane. And his nurse came in and said to him, Robert, what are you doing? You're going to catch your death of cold. And he said, look, nurse, there's a man outside there poking holes in the darkness. What he was watching was a lamplighter in those days before electricity, walking down the streets, lighting the lamps in the days of Meg. But they used to walk down the road and they would light the lamps as they went along. And there was Robert Louis Stevenson saying he's poking light in the darkness, poking holes in the darkness, I should say. We as Christians are called to poke holes in the darkness. The world may claim that Christianity is of no use to them. The world may claim that they do not need Christians in the world any longer. Get rid of them. Like the council got rid of the keeper of the springs. It is the salt and it is the light of Christians that impact this world. It is the salt, it is the light of Christians that influence this world. It's the prayers of followers of Christ as I said, are holding back the onslaught of the evil one. It is the actions of the followers of Christ that are impacting this world. But is this world really getting impacted? I don't think so. Not so much. We as a collective body could really impact this world. We as a body in Cornerstone can really impact Jundala. But we need all of you every single one of you. See, a Christian's seasoning is to be tasted. A Christian's light is something to be seen. A secret, isolated discipleship does not exist in God's kingdom. You see, either secrecy and isolation destroys discipleship or discipleship destroys isolation and secrecy. As I said, salt in the shaker or light under a bushel basket makes no impact. It has no influence. A Christian void of visible deeds of compassion influences no one. People, what you need to realize is that each life makes a difference. Each and every life. Your life makes an impact upon humankind. No one can detach themselves from this connection. There is no spot in the universe. There is no niche in the darkest corners of the world. There is no place whatsoever where you can withdraw your influence or your existence upon others. Your presence or your absence makes a difference to someone. Your presence or your absence will be felt everywhere. Your family, your friends, 
all who enter your life will be better off or worse off because of you. Your life makes a difference. Your life leaves an imprint on somebody else. Jesus says, I am who I am who I am. He also says, you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. My final question that I leave with you today is this. What message do you leave this world with? I want you to ponder that question. You see, God left a message for His people. He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be an influence in this world. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to impact this world, to show us what to do. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you and for me so that we can be saved and enjoy eternity in heaven with Him one day. And all He asks in return, all He asks in return is that we influence the world in His name. That we make an impact in this world in His name. That we influence this world in His name. That we be the salt and the light in this world in His name. And as we go into a time of Holy Communion this morning, I don't want to rush through it. I want you to get a rush out of it this morning. We are going to do things a little differently. I'm going to ask the stewards to come up and stand, one on this side and one on that side. And they're going to have the bread and the wine available for you. And I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat. I'm going to ask you to come to the front. I'm going to ask you to collect your bread and your wine from the steward. And then I'm going to ask you to step in and spend some time with God this morning as you take part of the bread and wine. Ponder on being the salt. Ponder on what it means to be the light. Eat your bread. Drink your wine. And return back to your seat. And perhaps pray when you get back there. Spend some time in meditation with God back at your seat. For today, I want you to remember the sacrifice through the symbolism of bread and wine. When you look back and reflect this morning, look back at the cross and remember what Christ has done for you. Remind yourself of the great love that He has for you. Remind yourself of the sacrifice that He made just for you. Remind yourself of the amazing thing that He did that while you were still a sinner. He did that while you were a sinner. Your sins were taken care of at the cross. We heard it in the songs this morning. We're going to hear it again as the songs are played. And He's given us Holy Communion as a reminder of what He did for us. 
as we come up, albeit one by one this morning, we come together in unity, people. We come to a common table. We come to give thanks to God as a united body of Christ. We come this morning as fellow believers, for we belong to one great family, the family of Cornerstone, a family of Christians. We celebrate this morning communion by sharing a single loaf of bread. And we do that as a visible signs of our unity. We use one bread, broken up by the lovely ladies in the kitchen, purely, so that we, because we are individuals, but we come together as one, one body for Christ. We come as the salt and we come as the light. Look around you. Go on, look around you. These are your brothers and sisters. You are the body of Christ, people. We also need to self-examine ourselves this morning. It's what we do at a time of Holy Communion. Time to look within. So examine yourself this morning. Have you been salt? Have you been light? Let's remember the true purpose of what Holy Communion is all about, lest we cast judgment on ourselves. We are to truly look within and examine ourselves. Search deep into your hearts this morning. That's why I don't want you to rush it. I want you to get a rush out of it. Confession, folk, is for nobody's benefit but your own. God already knows your hearts. Let me tell you that. But we have to acknowledge our sin. So we come to this table this morning with humility and we prepare ourselves with self-scrutiny. And this table is for everyone, people. This is not for the chosen frozen. This is for everyone. If you are seeking forgiveness, you are seeking cleansing, doesn't matter what you're seeking, this table is for you this morning. Christ our Lord invites you to this table. All who love Him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace in community. We take part of the wine this morning, the blood that is representative of, the blood shed for our sins. For Scripture says in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so as you partake of the wine this morning, that is what's happening. We partake of this celebration this morning to show humble gratitude for God's grace and His gift of life through sacrificing His life for you and for me. Communion is also time for looking forward, people. Looking to the second coming of Christ. Upon His second coming, He will come as a victorious King, reigning over all heaven and all earth. And how wonderful it will be to say the words of John, Come, Lord Jesus. So today, as you come to the Lord's table, come with insurance that Jesus will come again. So I'm going to ask the stewards to come up now. And I ask you again, celebrate the rush out of communion. 
Don't rush up here, grab your bread, grab your wine, sprint back to your seat and get there first. This is not a race. Take your time this morning. Spend some time with God. Meditate over what we've spoken about this morning. Spend some time alone with Jesus. Sue said we only have 26 hours of worship a year. That's sad. Let's maybe push that to 26.2 this morning. Spend some time with him. I'm going to ask the band to come up first so that they can receive Holy Communion. Some go to this side and some go to that side so they can start preparing themselves for the music. And as they take part of the bread and wine, I just want to pray over us and over the elements this morning. So let us pray. Almighty God, we confess that we have sinned against you. We have failed to do your will in our thoughts. We have failed to do our will in your words. We have failed to do your will in our deeds. We have too often followed the desires of our own hearts and not your will. Our selfishness has hindered us and made us unclean. And so we come to you this morning and we humbly repent of our sins and we ask for your mercy and for your grace. Help us, dear Lord, to walk in your way, to delight in your will. Help us to be the salt you call us to be. Help us to be the light that you call us to be. We ask this in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for each and every one of us and whose Holy Communion today we celebrate. We celebrate the Passover many, many years before that and we celebrate the sacrifice that your Son made for us as well. Two, two occasions we celebrate as we take part of this Holy Communion. We pray this in your mighty name.